Okay, welcome to Into the Channel, a podcast primarily about women's football, emergency pod edition. Before we hit the pitch, if you enjoy the show or love women's football as much as your boys do, subscribe, follow us, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to watch or listen. Comments, ratings, reviews, always appreciated at ITC underscore pod on X, at Into the Channel pod on threads, Into the Channel presented by just a couple American bros. I am your host, Dino Cespedes, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Grant Engel. What is up, man? As one half of those American bros, I'm glad to present this podcast because there were some good fucking football games this past week. So good, we had to reconvene a couple days earlier than we expected. Mm-hmm. Wild, wild, wild few days of football. So wild that just before midnight Friday night, had to do it, had to send out the bat signal. A couple of fascinating results in the two matchups we're going to talk about right here. In the first one, a matchup that we teased last week on Into the Channel, podcast primarily about women's football. First place Chelsea taking on second place Manchester City, your Sky Blues, in a battle that featured massive WSL implications. I want to clear out here, man. What did you see in this one? Mmm, this was a good game, buddy. A lot to enjoy about this game, especially from over here. Maybe uh, my perspective, you could say it's a little skewed, but that's all right. Let me just take a sip here, because this this game was fucking delicious. Let's go. All right. So, Chelsea went with a similar strategy that we actually talked about last week when we were talking about uh, their match against Crystal Palace in the FA Cup. And Mm -hmm. early on, It was a steady diet of Ashley Lawrence flying down the right-hand side and creating chances in the middle of the field for Myra Ramirez and Fran Kirby and whatever other weapon uh, they felt like employing at that moment. I'm going to say, you know, we talked about it last week a little bit when I said, you know, we've enjoyed watching these Champions League games. We've we've picked our teams that we like. I mean, like, you know, we love Ajax. We like PSG. Obviously, Braun goes, you already know what time it is with Braun. I'll say it again, man. Watching this match, it really cleared up for me how fucking terrifying it is to root against this Chelsea side, Mm. which I think I had kind of lost sight of because I, you know, watching the Champions League games, I don't know, I'm not actively rooting against Chelsea. In some cases, like I really like a lot of their players and I was rooting for them. But when they're on the other side of your happiness and they are running at goal, that's a pretty scary proposition. I was watching a little bit of. Side note, I was watching a little bit of Essen and Bayern Munich this morning. And, um, yep. you know, Essen's given them kind of all they can handle in that first half. I'm not sure how it ended. I had to kind of switch off. But it really has given me a a new respect for some of these teams, like a Hacken that plays Chelsea yeah. tough, shuts them out. You know, and then you see them go against City and you're just like, oh, shit. So I guess Hacken's just at that level, you know, like, <laughs> and, yeah. like uh, our guy Camp Hope talked about this, about there being like no freebies, no gimmies in this final eight in Champions League. And um, I'm just loving the parody. We're coming off a few years where things were like a little bit too predictable. And now it's just, wow, anybody could land a big shot and kind of change the complexion of an entire match. Very well said, my man. You set me up perfectly with the alley-oop there or a through ball into the channel, if you will. (laughs) So on landing that big haymaker, landing that big shot, I will say in this City-Chelsea match, we saw a rare occurrence and then a very not rare occurrence right back to back. So first, the nearly unthinkable happens into the channel. uh, Favorite Aaron Cuthbert has a really loose touch on the ball on like Chelsea's defensive side of the center circle. 22-year-old Jessica Park from Manchester City pounces on it, like great instincts, immediately is like, oh, that's free, and runs onto it, starts streaking down the middle of the field. And then the second thing, to follow up that uncommon occurrence of Aaron Cuthbert's uh, poor touch, we have the very common occurrence, something you could almost set your fucking watch to. Jessica Park, she passes the ball very nicely into Khadijah Bunny Shaw. Bunny's in one-on-one with the keeper. Hannah Hampton, great keeper for Chelsea. But you already know what time it is. When the pride of the reggae girls is one-on-one with a keeper, she's scoring. Let's go. And even better. I mean, the, the goal is great. Outside of the right foot, sneaks it past Hampton. No shot for Hampton. But then Bunny immediately starts running. They're playing at Chelsea's uh, at Chelsea's Park. Just a little, what's that? What's that, everybody? Because she was getting a little, she was getting a little bit from the crowd. And that was, everything about that was A+. plus. The finish was just, I mean. It's great. 
Bunny Shaw, just doing Bunny Shaw things. My Into the Channel starting 11, number nine, by the way. Nicely done. Just an extremely professional finish. I love the ice cold, understated Sully. That's just like, (laughs) I'm just going to make you feel real bad about where things are going. (laughs) And just blazing hot start for City. I mean, that was really impressive to see them come out like that. And also kind of see Chelsea not really know what to do about it. I think City did a great job possessing the ball early. A lot of Chelsea's touches and passes were with all 11 City defenders in front of them. You know, so it was a lot of kind of empty possession. Just basically Chelsea trying to get their bearings and figure out, okay, let's collect ourselves because this first 20 minutes has not gone our way. (laughs) And I think uh, not a situation that we're used to seeing Chelsea in at home as well. So that was very impressive uh, from City. Also want to give a quick shout out. Those all-white City kits with the burnt red trim. Let's go. Almost as clean as that bunny finish. I mean, they look fucking tip-top out there. (laughs) Those kits. Yeah. Great shirts. And usually, you know, I mean, the sky blues are my favorite. And we have like these all black kits uh, that we wore in years past. But yeah, the white with the red trim, very good look for the squad. Um, And I'm glad you mentioned like the first 20 minutes not going as Chelsea planned. Like I felt like City was, they were holding the ball. They were, exactly what you pointed out. They were pushing Chelsea back. Like Chelsea was not even really getting into... You know, they had a couple runs in there, obviously. You're not going to completely shut them out. But it felt like I had like that 25 to to 30-minute mark until Chelsea was really kind of even able to start getting some offense off. What did you see? Like, what what did it look like City was doing out there? I think, one, they really missed Canterwood early because she's been kind of instant offense when she's on the ball opposite girl Wrighton. They had Kirby in there who, who also was looking threatening. She made her presence felt early. Yeah. I think they weren't really in motion to the level of like giving City problems. I think they kind of made themselves pretty easy to defend. Yeah. I think they're just kind of used to, all right, Wrighton on one side, Cannon on the other, Cuthbert in the middle. Uh, LJ had a run early, like in the third minute where I was just like, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I made my notes. I'm like, <laughs> she might just be the most skilled player in the world that we have. Just the stuff that yep. she's able to do. Outside of that, though, I think they just kind of made it easy for City to defend them. And also City's intensity level was all the way maxed, evidenced by, you know, the park takeaway in the middle of the field, Aaron Cuthbert getting Aaron Cuthberted, and then that clean finish. I just thought they came out super ready and maybe caught Chelsea a little bit off guard early. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, missing Canarud, I don't think you can overstate that because it's harder to run the press when the other team has kind of rude and uh, writing on each side of the pitch. You, you might be a little more conservative with how, how high you want to press with those two insanely great passers kind of streaking down the sides, you know, to your point, I think, yeah, maybe Chelsea, they were a little easier to defend to defend. I think city shell defensive shell held up really well. So I'm just going to like, I thought Kirsten Kasparai, Alex Greenwood, Leia Alexandri, I thought they were great in the back line, especially on in those wider areas, making sure that, okay, we know that's what Chelsea's going to do. They're going to try to feed balls in from Wrighton. We need to make sure that we're making those as tough as possible. And then I felt yep. like Yui Hasegawa, who is, you know, we've talked about on this podcast since the World Cup, just her as a holding midfielder, she was dropping back. She just knows, okay, I'm, I'm needed a little further back this time, and then this other time, I'm going to help initiate the offense a little more. She is just such an intuitive player that I think Hasegawa, she's like made in a lab the perfect pivot midfielder to kind of help turn defense into offense, but also just at times be like, I'm mostly playing defense for these next 15 minutes because that's what's required. Yeah, she she was really on it in this match and really just great defending through her positioning. It wasn't that she's like taking the ball away or... Yep. You know, getting her very physical. She was just always in the mix and always just going to make you really, really work to kind of try to get around her. And um, she held up super well. I mean, I think without her, it's a, it's an absolute different game. Yeah, that could be the Yui Hasegawa biography title, essentially. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of who she is as a player. I totally agree. Let's get into, you know, so City is able to kind of hold uh, Chelsea off throughout the rest of the first half. Fran Kirby did have a shot that she just drilled around the, th- like just before the 30 minute mark. Mm-hmm. 
Kira Keating, I have a feeling we'll be talking about her more as this match progresses. She she stepped up. She made the save. And you noted a few weeks ago from, from watching her, speaking of Frank Kirby, I feel like Kirby is rounding into pretty great form. Oh, yeah. And they're going to need it. Like when we're talking about some of the other kind of things that we've seen from Chelsea lately, having a 10 out of 10 Fran Kirby is going to be very important to them, I think, in the Champions League. But going back to Keating, you know, excellent performance from her. I think she had a little bit of a scare. Cuthbert hit a laser from around the 18 later in the first half that went just over the bar that I don't know if Keating was going to get her hands on. Um, The back line and goalkeeping from the FA Cup match against Arsenal uh, to this Chelsea match, looking like a a nice strength for City right now. First of all, shout out to Keating. Talked about her last week. I mean, at her age, she's just playing really, really solid, really confident in goal. I think she kind of gives that City defense a little confidence boost as well. Just kind of knowing she's back there lets them be you know, a little bit like maybe 10% more aggressive, you know, just knowing that they've got pretty good coverage back there. She's not going to get beat by, I mean, you mentioned that, that Cuthbert shot, eh, maybe nobody's getting to it to your point. I think I agree with that, but she's just not going to get beat with something silly. And I think that's yeah. kind of what gives them an extra bit of confidence. Alexandra, who you talked about, she was awesome as well. I mean, oh, she's yeah. just plays end line to end line. She's just like on the field everywhere doing stuff and in the mix all the time. And that Chelsea attack, if I'm not mistaken, I think they were in kind of a 4-4-2 with LJ and, and Ramirez up top. I'm not sure about that formation. Maybe that was a, a way to kind of try to go at City a little bit harder. Like I said, I think they really miscannered and her kind of playmaking, her initiating offense. She's so quick. She's so good on the ball. She's so creative. And Myra Ramirez is so potent offensively that yeah. you just kind of got the feeling that if she had two more opportunities, three more opportunities... She was going to break the seal eventually. And Wrighton was, wasn't the best girl Wrighton game. Yeah. She was still pretty effective. Um, but yeah, they just were a little bit out of sync, I think, with with uh, as many lineup changes as they rolled out in this one. Yeah, great point. And with Ramirez, we talked about it last, last week, going up against Crystal Palace, a championship side, Ramirez was physically dominant in that match. Yep. And, you know, just more credit. I mean, Kirsten Kasparai and Alex Greenwood is, is in the middle there in, as a center back, even for a physical specimen like Ramirez, Alex Greenwood is a World Cup player. She is a contributor to the Lionesses. You're not just going to push her around, even somebody as strong as Ramirez. So to have like a real international level defender back there to be able to at least get Ramirez off her spots some of the time is just massively helpful. So I think you're totally right. Alexandri, great defensive game. Greenwood, I really liked, uh, and Kasprai as well, not to not to belabor it. But you did talk about, obviously, Joanna Ritting-Kanarud, JRK, uh, if we want to use that. If we, I think, she, I mean, she's more than worthy of the initials treatment, I think, at this point. Yeah, approved. Let's go. <laughs> um, so she comes on in the 63rd minute and I'm going to give some statistics here uh, from our pals over at FOTMOB F-O-T-M-O-B they have an app they have a website you can get all kinds of great match data table data from leagues injury news all kinds of good stuff from that website and they're bronze supporters from what I understand so that's pretty uh, that's pretty rad in the second half alone Chelsea had 10 shots they had 3 on target and they had 238 accurate passes and six corner kicks. Hmm. Needless to say, it was a lot of Chelsea possession in the second half of that match. And I don't think it was a coincidence that JRK came on on the 63rd, but so did Agnes Beaver-Jones, ABJ, if you like. Uh, also good <laughs> enough to get the, <laughs> the initials treatment, if you ask me. And so they came on for Wrighton and Kirby, and this is an extremely pro-girl writing podcast, but I think you're right. This wasn't really her match. So ABJ and JRK come on. And that, again, as a guy rooting for City, I was like, mm, I don't love that. Like, <laughs> like this one's probably going to get harder as it goes. Was the difference evident to you when those fresh legs and great talent came on? 100%. I mean, <laughs> talked about Canterud. Again, she's just so creative and she's so... She's so fast twitch, you know, like she's yeah, just like, bop, 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 and could put the ball anywhere she wants it. 
which is kind of what you need when you've got Ramirez just kind of roaming around the 18, trying to make something happen. I also thought Aggie looked super live too. Hell yeah. She came in and she was just uh, a jolt of energy for that Chelsea attack. But again, shout out to City and, and especially that back line in Hasegawa. They were up for the challenge despite having to take on, you know, those four fresh legs coming into the game. I can't imagine what it was like, you know, as a, as a city fan and follower to kind of sweat out that last half an hour. But zooming out a little bit, which I love to do, this Chelsea side looking a little vulnerable. Mm-hmm. We mentioned, you know, Bunny Shaw, obviously, Jessica Park, big impact on the game. But I also want to give a shout out to Chloe Kelly, who gave Dean Charles all she can handle in this one. I mean, I think yeah. looking at it and trying to project forward into the Champions League, and thinking about, okay, what are these other attacks going to look like? How's Chelsea going to be able to hold up against them? All of a sudden, we'll get into the next match a little bit later, but all of a sudden, these Champions League front runners, you know, we talked Leon PSG last week. Mm-hmm. We're not quite at wobble stage yet, but half an eyebrow is just raised just a little 10 or 15 degrees looking at these results and uh, projecting forward what we might be looking at as a Champions League marches toward the final. I think it's a great point. Yeah, we'll we'll talk more about those favorites. But, you know, so these leagues getting into the dog days, played a lot of football mm-hmm. coming up in this time, you know, with the extra games for the Champions League, with the cup ties, all that stuff. I think you're onto something here. Some of these, some of the teams that looked like giants early might be some tricky spots for them. So I mentioned in regard to this match, Chelsea dominated possession. It was about 70-30 in the second half. Just to give a little more on Keating, I mean, I think the things that jump out to me, obviously, you point out um, every time we talk about her, she's 19 years old. And I, I'll say, too, I mean, we we are Mary Earps appreciators on this podcast. I, I do believe Mary Earps is the best goalkeeper in the world. But between Mary Earps, Kiara Keating, and Hannah Hampton, we got an embarrassment of riches of goalkeepers over there in jolly old England. Mm-hmm. Future looks bright. I would say, and, and Keating was up for it. I mean, I just think the things that impressed me with her being so young, she's really instinctive on the timing of her dives. And then you combine that with just her phenomenal leaping ability. Yep. She is diving and she's covering yards with those dives. And uh, yeah. she's just excellent to watch. And so getting back to me being a big scaredy cat again, last 15 minutes of... <laughs> Of regular time and all, like, it felt like a hundred minutes of stoppage time. I believe it was nine minutes of stoppage time, if my notes are, are correct here. I was shaking while I was typing, so, uh, you know, to- <laughs> totally scared. So may- maybe it was eight or seven and I just hit the nine by accident. But, I mean, Chelsea had City completely pinned back and it was just, it was an all-out assault. And I always think this about great teams. When you get clearances, you have to hold the ball you're not going to be able to do it every time, but sometimes you have to be able to get a clearance and then get the ball all the way to the other side of the pitch. Right. It's it's very natural to get a clearance and it goes right to the the back holding defender or maybe the goalkeeper, and then they play it up and, and the attacking team gets another shot. That's fine. But once you have three of those in a row, four of those in a row, five of those in a row, now the levies are are going to break. Like you, you just have to get some room. It didn't feel like we had a lot of those in in the last like 20 plus minutes of the match. I thought for sure in the 76 minute Cuthbert was going to score and redeem herself because that's the exact kind of Aaron Cuthbert shit that would happen that we've seen um, in these champions league matches. Mm -hmm. So Neem Charles, who you, you mentioned earlier, and I'll say Chloe Kelly is going to give any defender everything they can handle because she is just fast as fuck. But I say it about Neem Charles. I, I feel like every time we talk about her, she is at least good in every match that she plays in. Like sometimes she goes in and you're like, wow, excellent Neem Charles game. I can't think of a lot of matches where I'm like, that's eh, a bad Neem Charles game. Like she is yeah. just like, she's either real steady or like bordering on excellent. So Neem Charles, she plays a long pass, cross field, hits it to Ritting Kanarud, who then draws both Leo Wahabi and Laura Coombs near the end line, does exactly JRK kind of shit, gets the two defenders to come in toward the end line, and she just lays the ball back to Aaron Cuthbert around 16 yards out. And I'm just like, oh, okay, this one's at a draw. And the Scotty, she she drills it and barely misses the target. It was another one, another opportunity where she misses it. If she placed it where she wanted, 
I think she has any keeper beat, even Keating in this ridiculous form that she's in. But you touched on something earlier that kind of sparked something for me. When your keeper is red, red, red hot like that, now you make every player who's taking the shots, they're trying to take these really concise nibbles. And they're almost more prone to miss because they're, they, they're like, I got to get this exactly perfect. Yep. Trying to paint those corners. hundred <laughs> um, percent. And so in those last minutes, even though they were pinned back, I liked Gareth Taylor's subs. Uh, he brought on Swedish vet uh, Philippa Engeldahl. Uh, he brought on Mary Fowler, Alana Kennedy, Demi Stokes, uh, kind of shore up the defense throughout the match. Our gal Bunny, the announcer mentioned it late in the match. She was from like 79 to the <laughs> rest of the match. She was out on her feet. She was cooked. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I don't blame her. The amount of work that she has to put in and the amount of just like physical play that she has to fight off while she plays. She's the target on every Chloe Kelly cross. She's the target on every corner kick we have. So she's getting beat up down there all the time. But I thought the subs held up. And, you know, I think that was maybe part of why we couldn't hold the ball uh, down there because Bunny was just absolutely exhausted for good reason. But they held on. And you might recall last week, your boy on this podcast said City was on for the double. And here we are. Excellent call by you. I think um, you might be proven right. We'll see. We're on quite the heater as a show as well. You know, we told you to keep an eye out for Fran Kirby coming on. Check. Kiara Keating. We gave her her flowers last week. Check. Lena Oberdorf to Bayern had that one pegged. I mean, we're just basically some combination of Shams and Woj and Zach Lowe all rolled up into <laughs> one with podcast. I could go. Uh, and I, yeah, Bunny, she's just unbelievable, along with Aaron Cuthbert. Those are a couple of our 2023 starting 11s. She just is using her strength, her speed, every minute that she's out there. She's just always hungry, always kind of on the prowl out there. So, yeah, you can definitely understand how she would hit that point. Um, speaking of the heater that we're on, we also hinted at something last week having to do with those champions of everything, Barcelona, potentially starting to show some signs of maybe the slightest of little wobble wobbles. Let's go ahead. I want to talk about that one. Zooming out for a second, putting our Champions League glasses back on. Stumbler 2 from a few of the tournament front runners, like we mentioned last week, we saw Lyon split the points with PSG. We just covered Chelsea dropping points to City. And while they did bounce back this morning, beating Atleti 2-0, Barcelona had a very interesting midweek date against Levante. Routine first half for Barca. Super slick give and go off a short corner that sees Salma Parayuelo initiate to Carolyn Graham Hansen. She gets it right back to Salma, who uncorks a gorgeous strike. Talk about Flight of the ball, watching that one Mm, (laughs) hit the back of the net. Oh my God, doesn't get any more beautiful than that. That one left Levante keeper Andrea Tarazona with zero chance of stopping it. Yeah, there was nothing she was going to be able to do. The flight of the ball is so perfectly said by you. It looked like a knuckleball, sort of, but it was just like the most beautiful knuckleball you'd ever see. It's like there's like, it didn't feel like there was a ton of spin on it, but it's still curving. I mean, it really looked like like a rocket or like a UFO of some kind. And <laughs> the play coming out of the corner kick, it doesn't look, and you'd think it would be because it's better Uelo out there running. It doesn't even look that threatening while they're running it at first. It's like, okay, here's a little pass. She's coming around the end. Oh, no. And then it's a goal. <laughs> it's just like, whoa, wait, what was that? Like, you should probably think I shouldn't give Selma better Uelo this much space. But that's a weird angle to fire that kind of shot from. So I don't I don't have a ton of blame for Levante, but maybe Oh no. Maybe close down some of the space. <laughs> or maybe mental note for next time when they run that play. You have to go you have to protect that. Well, uh they missed the mental note the second time around because <laughs> Barcelona tried that same move just before halftime. Uh Salma fires in pretty much the exact same shot. Again finds the back of the net, but just a second or two prior, our referee blows the halftime whistle, essentially keeping Levante alive in this one. We go into the half one nil Barcelona. Shout out to Levante's back four also for keeping Levante alive in this one. Antonia, uh Nudia Mendoza, twenty-two-year-old Maria Mendez. And 19-year-old Sylvia Loris, great showing from that entire unit. 1-0 at halftime. What are you thinking at this point? Yeah, you're spot on with the with the defense here. I mean, you need that if you want any prayer against Barcelona. Antonia and Loris 
on the two wings, mm-hmm. I thought were massively important, trying to like hold off Barca and getting on the other end of crosses that were getting played in. It wasn't all center backs doing that work. I thought Antonia had a couple spots where she had to intervene on crosses into the box and she was able to do it expertly, was pretty much always in the right position. When the ref blows the halftime whistle there, there's that brief moment. It's CGH who gets like somewhat dispossessed there. The ball takes only a couple quick bounces to get back to Perriuelo's feet. That felt like a quick whistle to end the half. Am I crazy on this one? I mean, to me, it was like no biggie. I mean, the whistle's got to blow at some point. Yeah. It just happened to be less than awesome timing if you're a Barca fan. No real telling what the results of the play would have been. Levante keeper at Arizona, she gives up on the play a little bit too. Yes. At the sound true. of the whistle. So if she's not diving for it and missing it. Who knows what would have happened? Maybe she scores, maybe she doesn't. It was just a weird play. It's just yeah. something that we don't we don't see too often. But ultimately, I mean, I think we just kind of move on, scoot right into halftime. I'm with you. Okay, that that makes sense. Sometimes you just got to chalk it up. Now, we have not seen in European football, there is no level of refereeing weirdness like our country, the NWSL. We apparently take great pride in extremely bizarre refereeing decisions. So we got that market cornered. But yeah, that was I thought that was a little bit of a weird one. But I'm with you. It it didn't feel like anything like to be too outraged over it. It's never a good feeling, whether it's an offside call or whatever, to watch the ball go in the net and be like, nah, nah, you don't get it. Doesn't count. And everyone's like, ah, what the fuck is that? Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as far as the first half, I thought Levante was pretty clear. They knew they needed to be physical. Uh, We mentioned Antonia earlier. She just pretty much grabbed Perriuelo within the first five minutes, just like grabbed her by the shoulders and threw her down. And I was like, (laughs) okay, you know what? It's hard to begrudge anybody who employs that strategy. Got to do what you got to do. You you bring up the offsides too. I mean, I think they were definitely physical and aggressive. Also not afraid of the offsides flag. Mm -hmm. They were like gunning. I think they had at least three or four in the first half. They were just like grabbing and go. Um, either way, second half, that's where things got really interesting. Barcelona comes out a lot quicker on the attack in the second half. More runs up the left and right-hand sides. More crosses into the box. More legitimate chances created. But again, they weren't able to cash in. Levante still hanging around. 55th minute, Mariona Caldente gives the ball away on a wayward pass. Great ball ahead by Erica Gonzalez. She finds the one, Alba Redondo, World Cup champion, who punishes Barcelona for the error. All tied at one huge moment. You always talk about a team getting mad when they get scored on. What were you thinking when this one goes 1-1? I, I thought, okay, can you hold on with Barca? I, I do think about Barca getting genuinely pissed off. Almost like you dared to score on us. Like, do you understand like what we're doing here? Like, this is a Barcelona match. Almost like incredulous when, when the other team dares to score a goal against them. And I think about like the quick turnaround that we've seen in these Champions League games. And I don't mean to be fatalistic when I watch some of these games, but I thought, okay, Levante, can you survive the next 15 minutes? Can you not give up this draw in 15 minutes? And then we might be, we might be cooking. They stuck with the game plan. There are a lot of times where you can see they were just basically playing five at the back and then had their midfielders rushing to help in pretty much every situation they could when they were able to just kind of hold on and still do some of that aggressive stuff. Like you said, like they weren't afraid to get an offside. They, they knew they wanted that you want to get the ball over the top to Redondo. I thought sticking to that identity was definitely going to help them, but you know, sometimes you can stick to your identity and still lose to Barcelona. So I wasn't overly optimistic, but I knew Levante was holding their own. It's funny that you mentioned holding on for about 15 minutes because about a minute after the Redondo goal, Kira Walsh gets a really nice look at goal. She puts yep. a solid shot on target that was saved by Tarazona. And I actually wrote in my notes, I bet that this is the only shot that Walsh gets. And I was right. Yeah. One thing that was impossible not to notice, almost no consistency in the Barcelona attack with regard to like who was linking up with whom. So one time yeah. it's like CGH to Pina to Patri, then it's... Onabatier to Mariona to Vicky Lopez, then it's Aitana to Kira Walsh to Lucy Bronze. And, you know, we often celebrate how dangerous this Barcelona team is, especially with regard to like how many different players can fire in a shot. In this match alone, okay, nine different players on Barcelona attempted a shot. I mean, amazing. There's some good parts to that. 
and then there's I think there's some less good parts to that. To my eye in this one, the only two players on the pitch with any kind of chemistry, chemistry meaning I know where you want to go, I know what you want to do, and you know where I want to go and what I want to do were Aitan and CGH. Everyone else in this one, for whatever reason, seemed to be just taking a position on the field and kind of ad-libbing from there. So I'd be curious about your opinion on this. Is it possible that without like a singular go-to scorer, like a shack in the post, if you will, is it possible that like not having like that big money go-to play and instead having a more diffused attack where you have six, seven, eight attacking players that can all be dangerous, is it possible that not having that can be a bad thing, especially like in a nip and tuck game like this 1-1, 30 minutes to go, you kind of need, you need like your heavy hitter, but you're like, who is your heavy hitter at this point? I think it's a great question. And I think some people use conventional wisdom as like, it's almost like a bad thing now because everybody wants to be like, no, I thought of the new thing. Mm -hmm. But like the reason there is conventional wisdom in football and and a lot of sports (laughs) is because that shit is proven to work. Like, (laughs) like we've seen it hundreds and hundreds, dozens of times. And I think that's usually seen in, in the context that you're talking about. It's usually seen through the scope of like a true Number nine, Mm -hmm. this is the player up top and the game plan at the end of the day when we are in the attacking third is put the ball at this person's feet because they are the best person on the team, hands down, at scoring the goal. Mm -hmm. There are some some exceptions to the rule. Like always, you see some teams like Liverpool, uh, Mohamed Salah on the men's side, like he's a great scoring winger. Like, you know, you, you you can sub it a little bit, but ultimately the question is, do we have a number nine who we can score, who can score reliably, consistently, who can beat defenders, beat the keeper? And I will say, obviously, that that's a proven formula. My brain cannot get over this. Is if having one player who has who creates gravity and demands attention from defenders, if having one is great, having three has to have some advantages in itself. And to like what you said about Barca, having six, seven, or eight on the field at some times, that has to be marginally better in some spots. But the point you made, which is, I think, the the core of this, is when you do have that spread of talent, and maybe it's not everybody thinking like, well, Selma's got to get the ball here. Because like, you know, Mariona Caldente probably doesn't think anybody in times should have the ball other than her. And for good reason. And so the the key to that, though, is when you have that many great players, the link up play has to be intuitive and it has to be cohesive. So the point you made about some of those passes and CGH and Bone Mati, they're on their shit. It's Mm -hmm. not surprising that those two are playing completely cohesive football. If the rest of the squad is not doing that, I'm absolutely open to the possibility that sometimes that can come back to bite you, even if when you're a super team like Barcelona. The one addition I'd, I'd make to kind of like this observation is you want your players to be able to get in a rhythm, mm. you know? Like Kira Walsh, perfect example, world-class footballer. She gets one look <laughs> at goal. It's about a minute after Redondo scores. And you just knew she wasn't going to have another one. Yeah. You look at like a Chelsea side and it's like, you know it's going to be Aaron Cuthbert firing. You know it's Wrighton on one side, Canard on the other, Kirby from her Kirby zones, and Myra yeah. Ramirez, the head of the snake, and then LJ is a little bit of a wild card. But there is some sort of like, there is some sort of chemistry in how they attack. Yeah, Barcelona, it's like mix and match, right? You just like throw the Scrabble letters in, shake it up, and see what comes out. And these players are firing and scoring from everywhere. You got Batier up up top, and then. Pina comes in and she's firing and Caldente is obviously like, it, it sort of feels like these players are playing their own game. And mm. I think in this one specifically, I really thought this one should have been like the Barriuelo game because yep. she obviously gets the goal the first half. She gets the almost goal right before halftime. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't seeing what she was doing that kind of led me to this, but it was really seeing where she was struggling, which is when she has, when she gets the ball with her back to the goal, and she's got to be a little quicker in a tighter space. And you're just not really taking advantage of who Sama Parihuelo is. Yeah. Give her space. Let her run. You know, she had a great run and goal this morning against Atleti. Yeah. You got to give her room and space to run. You know, and I think that's a little tougher to do when you're kind of like dinking around in the 18. And now it's like, okay, who, you know, okay, Patri's got it. All right, she's going to fire one. And 
she might not, <laughs> she might not get another chance for 35 minutes. You know, and I think like you, you miss out on the, on the chance to get these players into a rhythm to kind of like calibrate their shooting, pick up little things. You know, we talked about Cuthbert versus Keating, pick up little things that you might be able to say, Oh, okay. I, I got her leaning one way. I see something here, you know, but that's tough to do when you get two shots because yep. you're fucking playing on an all-star team. And I think that one rear its head in this one. I think you're totally right. And and the point about Betty Uelo is perfect. And, you know, I mean, I, we obviously could not be more in on Betty Uelo's stock. Like we've, we've compared her to every great striker that you could compare to you before me, you were ready to go there of weeks earlier than I was, but then uh, IPO baby, (laughs) it it, it washed (laughs) over me. I was like, Oh yeah. Hey, this, this Google stock might be worth something. And I'm with you. Like, I think it should have been the Petty Uelo game. I think that's a great, a great note from you. And she's awesome on the left wing, but, and this is the player who you comped her to. There are just times where you should just be like, Hey, Selma play nine. We're just going to play like Killian Mbappe for 40 Mm -hmm. minutes. And we're just going to try to get the ball out in front of you to run on to in the final third and score. I think that's a miss. Is it a miss? I think that is a tool in the tool belt that you should probably go to, even if you just want to run and be like, hey, this next 15 minutes is Petty Uelo time. Dude, you know, I'm I'm glad you brought this up. Didn't have it in my notes, but I'm recalling it from the game. There was probably a dozen times where Barriolo is gearing up for a run, running parallel to the back line, and she's fucking ready. And you got players like Batier, and, (laughs) you know, like you got players that could put it anywhere they want it. Exactly. Just give her some fucking chances to, like, break away. But instead, it's just dink, dink, dink. All right, okay. You know, and it's hard to (laughs) – I'm not picking on any any of these players. Players are unbelievable. They're all world-class, unbelievable players. Yes. But you have the Ferrari, you know. Mm -hmm. Rev the engine, just fucking, you know, like hit the gas and like see what happens. Because I think it's no coincidence that that's how she scored today. That's kind of how she scored in the Levante match off that give and go off the short corner. She's just got space and she can move. She's super fast. She's super quick. And um, she's accurate when you give her a chance. It was really those touches when she has to kind of like operate in a phone booth. If I'm on the Levante side and you see that Padilla is in the starting lineup, the one thing that you want her to be doing is getting the ball in, in a tight space and having to make a decision and make a play from there that you're playing right into Levante's hands. Yeah. That kind of made it a little tricky. We didn't get the Sama Parihuelo game, but I think we did get the Andrea Tarazona game, who was fucking awesome in this one. Great. Final seconds before the clock strikes 90. Vicky Lopez, another one, otherworldly talent. She's got a point blank header seconds before the clock strikes 90. Tarazona had a ton of work to do on that strike. She gets a really strong block on it, keeps the match level. After the save, she cracks a really wry smile. Like, yeah, we showed up ready. We came, we showed up ready today. She faced 20 shots total. She was able to save seven of the eight that were on target. And she's another one, man, 19 freaking years old. 19 years old staring down that Barcelona attack and didn't flinch in the slightest. That's got to be something. That was pretty impressive. I love, love, love that the camera caught that smirk after she made it. Because she was just like, hell yeah, needed that one. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's got to go a long way for a young person's confidence. Hard to even add to what you what you said. I mean, you save seven of eight on target against Barcelona at Barcelona, which I think we'll we'll talk more about. I mean, what's a bigger spot for her in her young life? Like this has got to be way, way, way up there. Incredible. Definitely want to give her a shout out. Switching back to Barcelona, though. Couldn't help but wonder if, you know, Jonathan Hidalgo's, if he's going to be maybe somewhat of a liability as they head into the Champions League. Didn't really see what the game plan was in this one outside of mm. very Vlatko and Anonofsky, like, hey, go out, be you. We've got good <laughs> players. We Just be you and be you. And then we're good. Sure. Just didn't really seem like we had a, a game plan. It's just opportunities and mismatches that I think just they just didn't take advantage of. We've talked about this extensively on the show. This Champions League field is loaded. Different matchups are going to necessitate different lineups, different tactical approaches. And if if I'm a Barca fan, I think watching this Levante tape, essentially just seeing this team go 90 plus minutes of just your turn, my turn football, might give me a little pause. Uh, shout out to at Neo10555 who dropped us the following question on YouTube. Is Barca starting to show cracks? 
According to the broadcast, this was the first time Barca has dropped points at home in the league since February 13, 2019. A whole different decade. Pre-COVID. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to say, different world. world. Yeah. Um, I think you already know where I stand on this uh, with regard to the showing of cracks. What say you, Mr. Grand Angle? I think the questions about Heraldez's decisions in this match are justified. Maybe this is just like a pet peeve of mine. Why are we bringing on subs at 86? They barely have any time to get some real run and get into the game. Like if, if you're bringing on the cavalry and we're throwing people forward, like let's do it at 80 minutes. Let's get, let's let people get a little bit of fucking cardio out there. I know we've seen it. I, I know we've seen like first touch of the match and they scored like that happens. I'm not disputing that. And maybe this is just something that annoys me, but when I'm playing FIFA, I'm bringing people in at the 80th minute. And I've won several trebles as a manager in FIFA. So, I mean, hey. Smart. I know what I'm talking about. Um, but, <laughs> Check the scoreboard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I also handle the post-game press conferences brilliantly in these in these FIFA games. Uh, at any rate, um, <laughs> something else I found interesting uh, and I started down this path looking at uh, FOTMOB's in-game stats for Bone Mati. It was about like the 70th minute when I was like, the announcer's just not saying Aitana a lot. Like He's just not saying mm-hmm. her name a lot. And so looking at some of the FOTMOB in-game stats, that led me to our other pals, FB Ref, uh, to look at some of their per 90 stats. So in Liga F this season, Bone Mati averages 8.4 touches in the opponent's penalty area per 90 minutes played against Levante. She had three. So if Mm. part of the strategy is keep bone Mati, and this is a good strategy. It's just easier said than done. Keep bone Mati out of the penalty area with the ball. Going back to your point about the link up between her and CGH was fine, but it was, it was kind of disjointed between everybody else. That's an interesting occurrence. I'd be, I'd be curious. I haven't checked, um, the stats from the match today. I haven't had a chance to watch over here on the West Coast. That, that match happened a little early. You know, again, easier said than done. But if your only prayer is to try to disrupt the engine to this thing, which I think we agree is Bone Mati and CGH, that is one piece to look at uh, for uh, the Braun Battalion and Braun and Martin Ho specifically. You know, how can we how can we muck that up as much as possible? Hopefully, in the first tie in a cold weather game where they might be uncomfortable already. I'm glad you bring up Bromati. You reminded me of this when you brought her up. There's a play when a loose ball kind of finds her in a dangerous area, mm-hmm. and she's just dying to give somebody a pass behind a defender that's streaking. And she's looking yeah. up, and nobody's streaking. And yeah. she gets pissed. <laughs> she just kind of like, <laughs> she kind of slaps her thigh. She's like, what the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> like, like mm-hmm. nobody, really not a single player is kind of trying to run and get a gimme of a goal because you know I'm going to put the ball right in your path and make it super duper easy for you, which also kind of leads to the point of a lot of kind of standing around, making it easy on Levante, trying to just get a ball, one touch here, two touch here and fire from like right on the edge of the box and, you know, highlight type goal shit. But sometimes you just need to like do the fundamental stuff, make the runs, give your distributor a chance to distribute and take what's there. Right. And I think like it was just a real uneven, real uneven match uh, from Barcelona as a bronze supporter, though, hmm? kind of hmm? hopeful, kind of <laughs> hopeful. <laughs> let me let me they say, better I, be ready. <laughs> Barcelona needs to be ready. They're coming to Bergen. They got to face off the, against the entire battalion. And please, for the, the viewers of this program, I think I've seen that term, Bron Battalion. I didn't make this up. I feel like I've seen it. I felt like I've tra- done enough Google Translate. Tell me if I'm wrong on that, but I feel like you guys call yourselves the Bron Battalion. So Barcelona has to deal with that. To answer your question directly, do I think we're starting to see some cracks in Barcelona? Or maybe let me let me put it right. To to put a friend of the show at Neo 105.55, to put to answer their question uh more directly, do I think I'm starting to see some cracks in Barcelona? What's like smaller than a crack? Is it a crevice? Is it a sliver? Because I'm open to either one of those. They still have so many great players mm-hmm. to be considered like really, really vulnerable. But I absolutely concede that the passing against Levante, I think you nailed this, was a little meandering. 
it was a little ticky tack, like, blah, blah, blah. We're just going, we're going back. I think you used the term before, like kind of meaningless possession, talking about the Chelsea match. I thought there was some of that. I don't think Barcelona looked nearly as clinical as, we, as we've seen them look, especially in the weeks preceding the Benfica draw. So mm-hmm. is it a crack? I don't know. It depends on how big of a crack we want to talk about here. It, but it's not nothing. And it could be something. How's that for analysis? I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. It could be something. I think there's some danger here too for Barcelona. Obviously, mm. you know, we're doing a little storytelling here. But I think having the first one in Bergen yes, and Barcelona knowing the reverse is at home, saying, all right, well, we're at home. You know, we're doesn't matter what the, the disparity is. We're going to be able to overcome whatever happens, in, you know, in Bergen. I think that's dangerous. Yeah. Because what Levante showed is I think you can get a little physical with them and you can kind of almost bait them into... I think Levante was happy for them to take those chances from from from, from far out. Sure. Being like, all right, hit a 35-footer. Let's see it, you know? And, and if you do, more power to you. Yeah. But if you want to come in here, we're going to make it really difficult. And Pariuelo, we're going to let you hang out in here <laughs> because we want to take <laughs> away your legs, right? We don't want you yeah. sprinting up the field gazelle style and then just hurting us that way. So I think there's... Definitely a little bit of complacency danger. Even just a few weeks back, Camp Hope was like, all right, well, Barcelona, you know, is anybody going to be able to challenge them? I think right now with those other teams in the field, I think I can say with certainty they're they're going to be challenged. Not saying they're not going to win, but they're going to sweat. Because I think like um, the parity is, it seems like it's it's been cranked up these last just few months in the sport where you're just like, oh shit, like all these streaks are getting broken. Chelsea had a super long streak of uh, performing at home. Barcelona streak was broken. That's less than a month from the Benfica draw. They're just like, oh shit, okay. We've got to take note of this because the Benfica draw was still a little bit like, it eh, didn't have all of our players. Didn't ultimately matter. The seeding was locked in. We're one, Benfica's two. Now this is Liga F, right? You know, these, not saying that anybody's going to catch them, but at what point do we say, all right, now these results, I mean, even this morning against Atleti, like two nil, uh, one of them was a, a super late Vicky Lopez goal. Yeah, you know. So, I mean, this game is in the balance all the way through. It's not the seven, eight, nine nil matches that we're used to seeing the last couple of years. We're just like, okay, foregone conclusion. What's the spread? Are they going to cover five and a half? <laughs> Are they going to cover six and a half? <laughs> I think now it's getting 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 a little bit more real, and we're also hitting the stretch run domestically, right? Mm-hmm. So now stamina comes into play. Injuries come into play going to be very, very interesting to watch. Exactly to your point, man. The announcer mentioned it multiple times, and I thought it was a really interesting point, is that Barca played Levante in the final of the Spanish Super Cup earlier this year. Barca won that match Mm 7-0. There are things happening, and and we talk about this in the women's game. The wheels of parity have kind of been turning slowly over these past few years, they're just start. They're starting to really speed up. Mm-hmm. And you know me, I love I love uh, an overreaction, or I love a hi- I love hyperbole, but it's going to happen. So like we we know it's going to happen eventually. There's too much great footballing talent around the world in general, and especially in Spain. We know it's going to happen. It's like, but can we figure out like, oh, okay, this one is actually a sign that the parity is is starting to come into play, or at least more parity than there was. Because, you know, I mean, people talk about, like, parity in the Premier League. The same four teams are in it every fucking year, right? <laughs> but, like, there's just a pro- proliferation of great coaching, great players going around. Could this be one of those signs when you st- when you stack it on top of the Benfica draw? And now, you know, it's a 2-0 win over Atleti. We've talked about a lot of matches played, a lot of minutes played. The legs are tired. I think it it all adds up to what could just be an incredible final few matches in, in the Women's Champions League. And we're going to be right here to break it all down. Damn right. Now, that's why that, that's a professional broadcaster move there by you. Let's go. So all in all, incredible weekend of football. Want to give a quick shout out to my Arsenal, who handled that other team from Manchester this weekend, 3-1, to one, in front of a record crowd for the WSL. How about 60,000... <laughs> 160 gooners in the building to cheer on my squad. Fucking love to see that. It's not just these other teams and other leagues that are stepping up. 
How about the fans? Hell yeah. You know, the whole fucking community stepping up. I mean, just just a really, really exciting time. Outside of that, like we mentioned, we're hitting the stretch run in these domestic leagues, which means we're going to see exactly how much energy, how much gas is left in the tanks of these clubs. Should be a thrilling final couple months of domestic and Champions League action. And again, we're going to be right here to break it all down. With that said, anything else you want to hit before we get out of here? Let's plant the seed now. You talked about we've been we've been getting some stuff right lately. You know, obviously nothing could possibly stand in our way from that trend continuing. I expect us to only to continue getting these things right. Okay, you have this shocking, you know, I think shocking is an all right word to use because considering sure. Barcelona hasn't <laughs> not won a match at homes pre-COVID. Um <laughs> I'll call that shocking. And now Chelsea's in a fucking title race. So oh, yeah. now you have to expend more energy. If, if Barcelona has to expend more energy in Liga F, if Chelsea has to expend more energy in the WSL, how is that going to play into these Champions League results? I think that's going to be something to watch. So let's plant the seed now. Is the parody starting to catch up at maybe the worst possible time for the juggernauts? And, and you know, we talked about PSG Lyon at length last week. Could for the juggernauts can be like, man, this is really now when everybody has to start stepping it up around us, like the most critical part of the European calendar. Let's keep that in our minds as as we continue to watch these results play out. Absolutely. Big question is, what does this mean for Braun? Exactly. I mean, that's really. I mean, that's what we're doing here. (laughs) How how wide open is the door for? I mean, this is. Let's let's get down to it. No, I think we're we're gonna have a few weeks to kind of uh, chop that up. All right, man, I think we did it. It's been another episode of Into the Channel. Remember, subscribe, follow us, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to watch or listen is fine with us. Comments, ratings, reviews, always appreciated. We're trying our best to get back to each and every one of you that leaves comments. Trust me, we read them all. We process them all. They play a big part in kind of like what we talk about on the show. So please keep those coming, YouTube, Twitter. Uh, it's been great to connect with all of you. Give us a follow as well at ITC underscore pod on X at Into the Channel Pod on Threads. Big thanks to you for watching, listening, and being part of our small but growing Into the Channel community. We're thrilled to have you hanging out with us. And big thank you to my co-hosts for always staying ready, never a wobble, the Sharita Spitz of women's football <laughs> podcasting, Mr. Grant Angle. I appreciate you, man. Buddy, I'm not sure I deserve praise that high. I appreciate it. I'm honored by the comparison to Spitza. And yeah, to to the to the folks enjoying the program with us, we appreciate you guys. Dino mentioned his gooners filling out the fucking Emirates for a match against oh. those Red Devils. I think we've enjoyed kind of forming the community here. We're going to be, you know, once the calendar allows, we'll get some travel in. I want to start going to some of these matches ourselves. We'll be out there. Everybody keep packing the stadiums. We're going to make sure we're watching our local teams, doing our deal over here. The sport is, it's its a fucking rocket ship right now. So let's let's just keep it pushing, I think. Absolutely. And again, we appreciate you all for rocking with us. All right, man. I will talk to you next week when there will be more football to cover. <laughs> <laughs>